Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I am joined by the man who has never needed to muck around with iron brew bottles as he always had his camel pack handy. As we find out in the episode last time, it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very well, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. All good, can't complain. Everything is fine and dandy. Uh, We've been cleaning the house this week because we have the in-laws visiting next week. So it's been cleaning the windows and cleaning the balcony and all the lovely things that go with that. I'm not trying to say we give a shit house, if you know what I mean. The house is always clean and tidy, but it's just those little things that you kind of, you overlook and you think, you know, we live in the seventh floor, top floor. And we had window cleaners came last year around about July. So we've kind of been putting it off, thinking, well, they'll be coming back this year. Fucking bastards haven't appeared, so we had to clean the windows ourselves. It's terrible. So, I mean, the thing is, you always go a wee bit, you always do go a wee bit further when you've got somebody coming to stay, especially, like, your in-laws. You mm. know, well, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've known them for, you always want to just maintain that, hopefully, good impression that they have of you. And you'll have something to talk about the next time, you know, when I ask you what you've been up to in the next episode, you'll be able to tell us all the things you've been getting up to with your, with your in-laws. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, we've got a full itinerary planned. Of course, we, we've got everything planned out. We're going to go and see some windmills. In fact, I'm not. I've taken that day off, actually. Uh, we're going to go to Den Haag for the day and see stuff. We've got restaurants booked we're going to go to. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a busy time. Don't you worry. Nice. I'm sure I'll have lots to talk about next time on this <laughs> Yeah, something to anticipate. Um, Definitely. So what about yourself? I see you've been up to some a little bit of baking over the last couple of days. Doing a bit of... I'd never made shortbread before and we're having people over yesterday for dinner so we've been watching this program on Netflix and it's a cooking program Zoe Ball presents it with a girl called Nadia who I believe won the Great mm. British Bake Off in 2015 I know you're a fan yeah. you might be familiar with her work um, and bas- it's, a, it's a good natured show I can't remember what it's called but basically two families go up against each other then there's three rounds the first round is they have to make a two course meal for £10 second one is the judges go to their house and they make like one of their favourite family meals that they make together and the last one is they're back in the sort of studio the barn the studio and they have to make a meal that would impress their neighbours so they they feel would impress mm. their neighbours so I mean it is very good natured you know what I mean like the contestants are all really nice to each other and, and the and the judges they, I'm not sure I think remember there was the two fat ladies the cooks I think one of the judges is one of those ladies Rosemary in this okay. Italian in this Italian fella so even even when they're critical they're not like harsh but of course they get these like Indian or Pakistani families on like these women who have been cooking since they were like one and can like mm. they whack up like a variety of dishes with their eyes closed and long story short I was really craving a curry but I wanted to make like a dessert and I never make desserts because I don't really eat desserts I never I don't have that much of a sweet tooth for desserts mm. so I thought I was I was we've got one of Jamie Oliver's books and I was leafing through and I realised that I had all the ingredients in the cupboard for shortbread so it's just so, so, sorry you're making shortbread from an Englishman's cookbook. Just <laughs> yeah, to clarify, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But all, all you need is butter, flour, and sugar. And I'm, I was a bit traumatized about shortbread because I remember making it in home economics when I was eleven, and I put too much butter in and fucked it. And it, I was, it sort of scarred me a little bit. I kind of realized yesterday, but yeah, I made it, I made an arse of it yesterday because my butter was too wasn't soft enough, so I, mm. my dough was too crumbly. So they were a bit uneven. Uh, but the ones that I made today, like I softened the butter and they came out a lot better. 
So <laughs> I'm delighted to hear that your softened butter led to better yeah. shortbread. I'm not, I'm not bad at cooking. I'm, I'm, because I've got a few things in my repertoire that go down quite well, but bacon is something that I've just never really got to grips with, you know? So oh, well. my other news is I went to see the Suicide Squad last week with my daughter, um, my, my 13-year-old daughter, not realising just how gratuitously violent it would be. <laughs> mm. um, but because it was the Middle East premiere, my friend uh, got his uh, tickets and we got free t-shirts and this rather nice uh, The Suicide Squad notebook that I'm using for my swally notes. I know I'm showing it to you, the, the listeners at home will only have to imagine its splendour. But it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a nice little notebook. It's got a little placeholder with a little metal uh, Suicide Squad kind of logo there. Oh, look at that. Very fancy. Yeah, I can recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a good night out. Maybe just don't take your... 13-year-old daughters or sons because it's pretty violent. <laughs> Speaking of violence, shall we have a look at what's been going on in Scotland this last couple of weeks? <laughs> That's a brilliant segue. Cue the jingle. <laughs> Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, I, I mean, I think we have had a little bit of a... We haven't been violent recently on the Swally, and I genuinely saw a story this week about someone pleasuring themselves, and I purposefully avoided it, even though it would have been brilliant for the Swally, but I am still on a wanking ban. So, what have you seen this week uh, that has caught your eye, Greg? Uh, well, if you're on a wanking ban, I'm not sure whether I should lead with this... Um... <laughs> story to be honest um i'm on a wanking ban i think yeah, you're okay i just had too many wanking stories my story doesn't involve uh masturbation but it does involve an x-rated model i actually kept this story back from our last episode there is a bar near glasgow called the loud uh, near glasgow there's a bar in glasgow near ibrox called the loudon tavern and the headline well. the headline yeah you've probably seen it from the outside a few times jer's top less lana wolf barred from the glasgow Rangers pub the Loudon Tavern after posing for a topless snap. The X-rated model took to Twitter to share the racy pic that she took outside the Loudon Tavern, which is on Copeland Road in Govan. She's sitting on what looks to be uh, like a beer garden, and she said that the bosses of the Loudon Tavern have banned her from the famous supporters venue over the pic. Lana said, "Can't believe I'm barred from the Loudon for this photo." Uh, the post proved popular with her fans, racking up thousands of likes, shares and comments. The Loudon Tavern has been approached for comment by the Scottish Sun, uh, but they uh, have declined to comment so far. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure when the Loudon Bar got so Puritan, maybe they're going back to their strict Protestant 19th century ideals. <laughs> but they're not impressed. Before I say it, I was going to say, I am familiar with this model. Not in that way. Right. She was in the papers quite a lot, I think, during Scotland's Euro campaign, because she yeah. went down to London and she was getting up to all sorts of things with the Tartan army, getting her tits out and just right. generally being quite boisterous. I mean, she's yeah. a porn star, so yeah. I guess that's what she does. She has to probably try and sell her OnlyFans account and stuff. Yeah. How are we getting on with our OnlyFans account, by the way, Greg? <laughs> We've never actually got that set up. Yeah. 
Okay, so I am. I have seen her in the newspapers. So I am quite surprised because she's a pretty big Rangers fan, I think. So for her to be banned from the Loudon Tavern is is quite a, a shameful situation. It would be like me being banned from the Broadhill Bar when you know I used to go to Pataudry every week. I mean, it's long I, shut down. I but... was going to say, oh, I, I thought I was going to be the person to break that news to you there, mate. I'm really, <laughs> really glad to hear it. Um, I had my 21st birthday in the Broadhill Bar. Well, she actually ended up when she was, you mentioned that she had been travelling down to Wembley for um, Scotland's games against, Scotland's game against England. She actually caught sepsis when she was in London. Is that all she caught? Well, that's, well, she's, she's claiming it's sepsis I'm not sure but yeah apparently she ended up in hospital uh, fighting the nasty bug after travelling down to the capital for the England v Scotland Euro clash and she wasn't able to return she wasn't able to get back since uh, the, the game uh, the, this article went I think they played on the 18th of June this article went out on the 27th of July and uh, I don't think she, she wasn't able to get back for a couple of weeks because she was stuck in the hospital poor old Lana but yeah I've got to laugh like, the picture of the Loudoun Tavern behind Lana has got a banner up saying from Merseyside to Clydeside, welcome to the most... I can't see what it says because there's a number L in the way. I think it's maybe famous. Welcome to the most famous football club in the world, Stephen Gerrard. I've got a bit of a story about the Loudoun because when I worked in Glasgow, um, do you remember when we had? Remember when the smoking ban came in in Scotland? Yeah. In 2005. So we had to, like, yeah. we I, I worked for a branded restaurant chain at the time, and we had to um, we sort of scrambled to build uh, patios so people could mm. sit outside and smoke. And like the Scottish licensing systems quite a complex thing to navigate anyway but in Glasgow it's particularly complex because in Glasgow for obvious reasons they don't like you drinking outside really mm. <laughs> sort of ruined we sort of ruined it for ourselves over the years and so I had to go to licensing hearings in the city chambers for a few of the restaurants and you know city chambers it's a council meeting so you go suited and booted it can be a bit of a boring day you basically sit and wait for your case to come up in front of the mm. board. But in the meantime, you get to watch everybody else's cases come up. And the Loudoun Tavern were applying for a beer garden for the same uh, license for the same reason as us. The guys turned up. I mean, I, people will hear this and think that I'm making it up. I promise I'm not right. This is this is if I had a, if I had a camera phone at the time, I'd have taken a picture. They turned up. There's the two guys. I don't know if it's still the same guys that run it. I don't know if it's changed hands or not. But in 2005, these two guys turned up. They were running Loudoun Tavern. They were wearing Wrangler jeans, cla- the, the classic black and white Adidas leather sambas. Mm. One of them was wearing a Rangers home strip. The other one was wearing the away strip. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I was hoping you were going to say it was a waste. There, like, there was there was some gaps in there because like, you you have to go with your licensing lawyer. You, you just turn up on your own. You got to you got to turn up your representation. You, you're just mm-hmm. there in case the licensing lawyer can't answer any of the questions. You know, or is caught sure. out by a question or two. And so the board said, um, "We're not going to grant the license at this time." And one of the guys said, "How?" <laughs> Uh, it was really, really, really funny, and they fucking stamped out of there. Like, the, the council was like, "Look, there's we need some more information. We need to come and see where it's going to be." Blah blah blah, and they fucking stamped out in a right huff. Oh well, so, yeah. they won't be welcoming Lana Wool in their beer garden anytime no, soon. No, I mean the beer garden looks like shit anyway. I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's that's my first story. What's uh, what's your first story this week? Well, I've got a lovely story. We, we all love a wedding, don't 
don't we, Greg? It's a big thing, yeah. and we've all uh, kind of been. Uh, we've had to postpone our big wedding twice. Not you and mm. I, me and my wife. <laughs> I mean, we did get married in the registry office, but you know, yeah, the celebration we've had to postpone twice because, of course, of uh, the big flying virus. However, one couple found a little way around that. So, a loved-up Scots couple have tied the knot on a remote beach and they became the talk of the island after having a random pet goat as their only guest. Neil and Corey Glenn didn't want any fuss of a typical wedding and decided to elope to the Isle of Jura. Well, what a beautiful place for a wedding. Yeah, for a, a light, intimate ceremony. Uh, they got together around two years ago, so they jumped on two ferries and travelled over to the Inner Hebrides from their home in North Ayrshire at the end of July this year. Uh, bodybuilder Corey, 43, ditched the traditional white dress in favour of a skimpy show bikini, while powerlifter Neil, 40, donned his finest kilt. And there's a photo of them, and they do look very buff in their <laughs> bikini and kilt, as you would expect from a bodybuilder and a powerlifter. Uh, she must be so, freezing. Uh, yeah, she must have been, yeah. <laughs> bloody right. Yeah. Uh, so, registrar uh, Heather Cameron had arranged for a special guest, a goat named Raymond, to be present alongside two witnesses for their nuptials. Now, Daily Record, this is where you've got it wrong, because you've said the goat was the only guest, but obviously they had two witnesses, because... Otherwise, I don't know how the goat's going to sign the, the witness <laughs> papers, but I'm sure it would manage. Anyway, the, the gym buffs looked stunning as they posed on the deserted beach, while talk of their unusual wedding soon spread amongst bemused Jura residents. Uh, Joyner Neil, who's originally from Dabarton, said, Apparently, we were the talk of the island. It's just the way me and my wife are. We like to be very different. We wanted to get married because we're in love and didn't want to share it with anybody. We didn't want a big flash wedding. We just wanted to be us on a nice beach. We didn't know what the weather was going to be like so uh we got lucky i called heather and asked her you know explained what we wanted to do and i told her i was going to be wearing a kilt and cora be in a bikini we wanted something different so we decided we'd like to have a goat at the wedding too <laughs> once heather stopped laughing uh she said it sounded brilliant and managed to arrange the goat raymond to attend the wedding we just like to do things our way we're a bit different from normal. We don't like being sheep by copying everyone else. So we got a goat. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, the banter. Um, his name's <laughs> Raymond and he lives on the island. I would hope so, because I think that's a bit strange, getting a goat from a different island to come over. Importing a one goat. Of <laughs> one of the things people keep asking us is, why a goat? And that's exactly why. Because it makes people ask the question. I, I, I'm losing my rag with this couple. This is fucking ridiculous. Say, sound like a pair when of wankers. You, you know, it, when you see pictures, you could think be mistaken for thinking we're in Spain. Something in the trees in the background. It was lovely. Everything just fell into place. The day was perfect. I can see the photos and it looks fuck all like Spain, mate. It looks like you're on the island of Judah. Um, they originally <laughs> wanted to go to Miami, but when COVID hit, they couldn't go to Miami. So she said, yeah. The goat was great. I love goats and I just thought it would be something different. Um, I just got back to work today and the guys got me a, a baby cuddly toy of a goat. So I was very happy about that. She said, yeah, I don't like to be like everyone else and I like to do things that no one else has done before. I think people have probably been married with goats before, so I don't think you've really got that. She was going to go to Morrison's and buy a bouquet of flowers, but then her friend said, I'll get you a proper bouquet. That's not very different then, is it? Because normal people would get a bouquet yeah. of flowers, so she's not doing that good. They 
they want to go on a nice honeymoon, but they know it's not the correct moment to do so. So they're going to wait for better weather and maybe explore more of Scotland soon. It doesn't say if Raymond is going on honeymoon with them. And it doesn't say if Raymond was involved in the wedding night. But I let, think we'll just leave it up to our listeners to decide if Raymond joined them for the party afterwards. Um, so, I go to a so, wedding. Like, they sound like a couple of arseholes, to be honest, don't they? They sound like a pair of insufferable cunts, to be honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, sorry. I mean, you know, we, we're in love. We wanted to get married. We didn't want to share it with anybody. I mean, fuck off. Who do you think you are? You know what I mean? Do you invite your mum and dad to your wedding? Well, they had Raymond. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. Yeah. We're, we're going to get... We're going to get... Oh, nice. Yeah, like it. We're, we're going to get married in Miami, but there's no goats in Miami, so we went to Jura instead. Get a grip. I mean, the one thing that he said that... I was going to agree with them until you said that it didn't look anything like it was sometimes some of those islands up in Scotland on a really sunny day do look a bit tropical from the mm. right angle like the beach you know like there's, you sometimes see pictures on on the new, on Facebook and stuff that someone's taken of a really unusually sunny day in one of the islands and the sea the water's really clear and it does look a bit Mediterranean but uh, yeah I mean, I mean maybe I mean, I'm put off maybe I'm being a bit giving them a disservice because it, it is a beautiful sunny day and there's not a cloud in the sky in their wedding photos. Maybe it's the fact that he's wearing a kilt and they're standing kind of by the water's edge and there's quite a lot of sludge around them and they're both cuddling a goat. So I haven't seen many Mediterranean weddings that... I need to get a look at it. I'm just typing... You see a guy in a kilt. Here we go. I I typed in Raymond the goat wedding and for some reason Ray off... um, Everyone loves the Raymond popped up there. So I I typed in Isle of Jura afterwards and I've, I've landed on the article. I mean, here we go. I mean, they look, I guess, until, until you read the interview, if you just see the picture, they look like quite a nice couple, a bit eccentric maybe, you know, on the beach. Yeah. She's got her shoes, shoes on her bare feet. We've got a sunny day, uh, but yeah. I mean, oh, but he's flexing I, his muscles. Oh, wanker. I think we need to remember here that Neil and Corey Gren are a powerlifter and a bodybuilder. So from all yeah. of us at the Swally, we would like to offer you our sincerest congratulations on your <laughs> wedding. We hope you're very happy together and you had a lovely day. The photos look amazing. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure you're not a pair of insufferable cunts. <laughs> but I'm sure it's just the way the Scottish, uh, the day the record has made you look, but we misquoted. We I'm work sure hard. We work, oh, wait a minute though. We work hard and we no, we look good. So we like to play on it a wee bit by calling ourselves Team Chocolate. What the yeah, fuck I is let, all that about? I left that bit out. I didn't think that painted them in the best of lights. I, I, I don't know what that Team Chocolate's about. I mean, I would call them Team Chocolate, but not in the same way. I mean, like, in, you look like a fucking chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I've not, heard that. I've not heard anybody call anybody that for years and years. That's a right northeast thing. I, I don't right? think you'd be allowed to do that nowadays, though, would you? No, I guess not. It could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, let's move on from Team Chocolate. Uh, what else have you seen this week that has caught your eye? Anything involving goats? I don't, I don't know why that's got that that story's got under my skin so much. <laughs> <laughs> piss me off um, no no my story is about a creature but it's about a, well depends how you feel about it a legend a creature of legend a real creature um, it's not for us to say this headline comes from the Scottish Sun it says Lake News Loch Ness Tourist Savages Landmark in scathing TripAdvisor review after failing to spot the legendary monster this is on the 13th of August so it's Lake News I just feel like the Scottish Sun have just stopped trying with their headlines 
You know what I mean? Anyway, it says, A Loch Ness tourist has hilariously slammed the hotspot after failing to spot its legendary monster. The writer, known only as Ron, left a TripAdvisor review after driving more than 400 miles with his family in search of the infamous creature. But after spending hours in search of Nessie, the dad told of his bitter disappointment. He gave Loch Ness just one star rating. What a disappointment. We travelled 400 miles from Grimsby to see the Loch Ness Monster and it didn't show up. Don't go if you're wanting to see it because you will end up bitterly disappointed like we were. Wife and two kids waited around for hours. Few points were crowded and dirty. The weather was terrible. One moment sunshine, the next... It was hard to keep up. I thought the whole experience was horrendous. I just wish I hadn't bothered. It's just a tourist trap and I'm not sure why they would advertise a Loch Ness Monster when it's all a lie. There's much better places in Scotland. We won't be coming back. Uh, A screenshot of the review which was shared last Wednesday was posted online with the caption, maybe they were just unlucky. Uh, The post now has over 325 likes with around 100 people commenting on the bizarre review. Uh, Reviewer Gary Phillips said, it must just be your bad luck. We're we're camping by the loch and Nessie's just come out straight in front of us. It's awesome. Then if that wasn't enough, a UFO just flew over. What a day. I love Scotland. Nicky Parrott replied that Nessie doesn't like midges, so she swam south. Gary Park added, plenty of monsters in Grimsby, mate. Why travel to see one? Uh, the family will be even more disappointed as reports claim that Nessie was spotted for the second time in 11 days earlier this month. A tourist claimed to have seen the creature rise two feet from the water, giving the visitor the fright of his life. Uh, the other day, the son told how Google uh, Maps has got a glitch, which apparently left users in hysterics after an ex naked guy. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So people hoping to see Nessie certainly got an eyeful, but of a very different kind. Instead of the mythical creature protruding from Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands, users were met with a stark naked man. Uh, the unclad bloke has taken a selfie of what appears to be his patio. Uh, I mean, Nessie so, isn't a one-eyed monster anyway, so I don't know not, what the... Certainly not. I mean, I don't I mean, the, there, is, there is a distinct possibility that the Scottish son seems unlikely to entertain that that review might be someone just having a laugh. Um, it surely has to be. There's no yeah. way that can be serious. Like, has he ever seen Jurassic Park? Is he going to be expecting <laughs> dinosaurs? There's no way that can be real. It has to be a joke. But they've yeah. reported that as serious. If, if it is serious, then wow. I think uh, need to be having some serious words with that gentleman and his family. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you just wouldn't go on to like TripAdvisor or Twitter and say anything negative about Scotland because as I'm sure we've covered in the Swally before, no Nobody does Twitter better than the good people of Scotland, yeah, and I you know agree. they can, can they will shut you down and make you look very foolish indeed. Much like um, reviewer Gary Park with these plenty of monsters in Grimsby uh, little uh, little one liner. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever like gone anywhere based off like TripAdvisor? Well, not even TripAdvisor, but someone said, "Oh, you've got to go and visit that, stay in that hotel, or go to that place. It's really good." And then gone and found it to be lacking in your expectations. You know, I can't think now. I think there has been a few maybe restaurants. I think maybe my good lady wife and I have maybe been visiting a country or we've had a look on TripAdvisor to go somewhere. It's come highly recommended. We've gone there and it's been absolute dog dirt. So (laughs) we kind of learned quickly, do not go on TripAdvisor for 
any recommendations. I can't think of anywhere that I've maybe been that someone's recommended that I've thought was absolute shite. Um, nothing springs to mind off the top of my head. What about yourself? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm about, I, and I suspect that I might share, a, I might share about this DNA with you, but I, I don't really like being recommended things. <laughs> I don't know if it is. So it's always says, oh, you've got to, you got. To, I mean, like, I'll take a recommendation off you because you and I have got a lot in common, and if if you like something, there's a good chance I will like it. But yeah. if like if somebody I don't know very well. So, oh, you got to, or my mother. Like, she's another person that I don't take recommendations off. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just I just I just don't like being told what to do. I'm like, I'll, you know, I'll find my own nice place to go. <laughs> and I'll tell just, you about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just generally quite skeptical. And actually, my wife will be listening to this, so I, she can let me know once she's heard this. There have probably been quite a lot of times she has come home or she said, "Oh, so and so is recommended here," or "So and so is recommended here," and she'll describe it for a minute, and I will just say nah that sounds shite and we generally won't go (laughs) because i could just tell from the description nah that's not something i'm going to be enjoying i don't like doing stuff mate i don't like going out i don't like interacting with people i don't like having to do that so if i'm doing it it has to be something very worthwhile otherwise i'm happy just sitting at home playing with my dog and yeah. otherwise, no, it has to be something spectacular. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't take recommendations that often. People don't know what to recommend to me anyway, because... <laughs> they don't know you, because you don't... They don't know me. <laughs> I, I don't let people in. This is the, the most I give on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, people don't know what to recommend to me, so... I always think really carefully before recommending something to you, because... <laughs> There's something quite crushing when you're just like, yeah, nah, that doesn't sound like... When I recommended that Rockin' Tours podcast with Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp, mm. and when you came back to me and said, oh, it's really good, you've been listening to a few episodes, yeah. I was like... I really enjoy yeah, it, yeah. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really... I've been picking and choosing the episodes, but I'm really yeah. enjoying... There's something really good about... Um, I, I think it's because a lot of the guests they have on are people... Uh, yeah. I loved listening yeah. to, um, you know, Dave Stewart, and um, I yeah. listened to the uh, Adam Copeland one no adam mm. copeland no Stuart sure copeland, copeland. Sure yeah. copeland. Adam, Cop- adam copeland's a wwe wrestler um <laughs> he's he's edge in wwe that's his real name um so been loving listening to stuff like that so yeah that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of stuff i would recommend you know what i like anything i know but sometimes or something. No. sometimes i get it wrong you know what i mean i'm always really careful okay. so I'll, what, what i'll say is i'll say oh i saw this or i listened to this i really liked it but i'll be careful not to say you should you should listen to it or you should, you watch should listen it. to I'll, it okay <laughs> yeah. when i get one right it's always a good feeling <laughs> you know <laughs> I won't recommend not Loch Ness then. You know something? I'm going to pass on this next story. Okay. It's a story that I saw today in the Scotch Sun just earlier on, um, but it's about a couple. And judging on the story I told about the last couple, I think this might send you into a rage because <laughs> it's it, it's genuinely horseshit story. It's about a couple right. who took a selfie in the north of Scotland and they have said how close they became to death. And effectively, in the photograph, their hair is kind of standing up and they're convinced convinced that they were about to be struck by lightning. Right. Honestly, it looks like it was just a fucking windy day. So, <laughs> and, and and they've churned this out into a full story about how they ended up walking back to the car and telling people that don't go there, it's going to be lightning. And they were Googling and 
it did rain that day and they have no idea how unbelievably lucky we both are to be here safe and alive. So I'm not going to do that because that'll boil my piss as well. Uh, let's go for a little old school story. This is something you don't see nowadays that often and we should bring it back. This is from last week uh, and it's from the Daily Record as well. So this is uh, about a shocked Scots homeowner who has told how he captured two shadowy figures stealing milk and other daily products from her doorstep. The alleged theft was filmed on their ring camera. So two hooded figures pulled up in a car, ran out the car, nicked our milk, and I think our eggs and our yogurt, got back in the car and sped off at high speed. <laughs> they posted the footage on social media, and other residents in Dalkeith, Midlothian, claimed that the same thing had happened to them, with items going missing from their doorsteps over the last couple of weeks. So this initial video was filmed in the early hours of the 6th of August, and it sees two hooded individuals wearing tracksuits approaching the property, picking up the dairy delivery, and then taking off at high speed in the vehicle. The Dalkeith resident who captured the footage on a ring camera told Edinburgh Live, I hope they choke on my yoghurt. They stole our milk, our yoghurt, our eggs, and we were done out of our Weetabix. I'm trying to <laughs> see the funny side of this, but obviously I feel bad for the milk company as so many people will stop ordering now. This is the first mm. time it's happened to us, but looking at the comments on my post, it seems to be happening all the time. Other people living in Dalkeith area have also reported their daily products stolen, with one person saying, I caught them stealing mines the other week. Another said, we've had a lot of problems recently. The police do actually want it reported, so they can hopefully do something about it. We had all of ours stolen last week. A third said, uh, yeah, we also had our milk stolen by the same people, and we caught them on our ring camera too. We called the police, and they took a report. Police Scotland have been contacted for comment. I didn't realise people still got their milk delivered properly, like yoghurts and eggs on their doorstep. Like, surely it's just asking for trouble. I think it went away for a while. When I was a teenager, I, I delivered the milk when we lived in Barrow and Furnace. Oh, yeah, and I went, were you? Well, I think I just thought I helped the milk man. It was good money. I used to do the milk and the papers. But it was it was glass bottles. And we, mm. I remember when we lived in Glasgow, when my oldest daughter was born, somebody came and trapped the door and asked if, we, if he could add us to his milk rounds. And like, yeah, so we used to get but it was like a two litre carton that would get delivered every day okay. um, so they obviously do I don't know if they still do the glass bottles but I can tell you know, what I will say and anyone that's delivered the milk will attest to this when you're collecting the empty when you're collecting the empty bottles in the winter you couldn't really wear woolly gloves and like when you're a 13 year old kid yeah. the only gloves you have are like woolly gloves because the bottles will slip out so you got to do your bare hands it was oh, really really that's cold hard work yeah, yeah it, was, it was just cold it was fine in the summer but it was cold it was cold in the winter yeah so like so there's like these Dalkeith dairy junkies <laughs> <laughs> like, surely if they're speeding about in a car, going from door to door, like, petrol is surely more expensive than milk. Like, are they doing it for the thrill? Or have they developed some sort of Doc Brown DeLorean on a car that is powered on eggs, milk and yoghurt? And they're trying to get up powered. to 88, a dairy-powered, a dairy-powered DeLorean in Dalkeith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a that down for the for the Instagram post. <laughs> That's um yeah, I wonder why they're doing that. Like, uh, there's there's not a lot of value in that, surely. Why wouldn't you go and ram raid a farm or something if you're <laughs> like a cow and just <laughs> it's just there on tap. You don't have to go out robbing a cow in your living room just firing at milk all day, <laughs> keeping your grass short. <laughs> the, the reason I had to come up with that story is because it was so old school in terms <laughs> yeah. of nick and milk. And when we envisaged the swally, that was the kind of petty news stories I kind of wanted to cover in terms of oh. So 
someone found a shoe in a lane and they're looking for the owner or someone's <laughs> yeah. nicking milk off uh, someone's doorstep like i just didn't realize that type of thing existed i'd imagine you are probably right i bet milk deliveries and egg deliveries came back probably in the last mm-hmm. year because of lockdown because a Maybe. lot of people wouldn't have been able to get out so i'd imagine yeah. those companies did do you know they were offering good service and helping people a lot and that's true maybe we shouldn't be making light of this because maybe they've stolen milk and eggs from people that couldn't get out and didn't need it but it is fucking funny <laughs> yeah i can remember they my mum was my mum still got the milk delivered like when i was still around still lived at home and long after I left home and the only sort of theft we had to worry about was sometimes like birds would fly and peck in the foil lids you know what I mean Um, they would peck a hole in the lids to get to the milk and stuff or sometimes like the cream at the top of the milk would freeze in the winter if if you didn't get your bottles in sort of quick enough and especially in the northeast of Scotland in the winter it can be fucking can be fucking chilly right so uh, um, I mean I, I, I quite like the you know I mean I think there's maybe just because I'm a real nostalgia sort of junkie I like the sort of things that remind me of when I was a kid like the milk getting delivered and the paper you know the, the, the guy coming round for his milk money on a Friday night and um, doing a big job in the bathroom stinking out a wee flat but you know it's just a simpler time never mind okay um, anything else you've seen this week Greg? no that's all my stories do we do we have a do we have a current sponsor this week? Oh, we certainly do let's have a little word from our sponsor Open in Barhead, there's a great new supermarket and loads of shops with bags of choice. Where does she get the money? There's even mini shops and a restaurant all under one roof. Fancy a horse in the pub, son. And it's only a step from your car, the Westbourne Centre, Barhead, shopping at its best in the West. You should have taken a trolley, yes. So, it was your choice this week uh, for our Swally review. Why don't you introduce us? Well, thank you very much, Greg. Yeah, uh, so I I wanted to discuss a film on The Swally that I'd never actually seen. And I mentioned last time that I've never seen this film up until doing it. So I want to discuss the 2012 comedy drama directed by Ken Loach and written by his longtime partner, Paul Laverty, The Angel Share, uh, released in 2012 and starring Paul Brannigan, John Henshaw and William, we're going to say Ruane because that's what we said in the Sweet 16 episode and I think that is probably the correct pronunciation. Uh, And set in Glasgow, the film tells the story of Robbie, a young father who narrowly avoids a prison sentence, determined to turn over a new leaf, uh, a visit to a whiskey distillery, inspires him and his mates to seek a way out of their hopeless lives. The Angel Share was the winner of the 2012 Cannes Film Festival Jury Prize and released to critical acclaim. Greg, as I say, I'd never seen this before, but what are your first memories and, and when did you first see The Angel Share? i only seen it once before and it was it was round about when it came out. I think I watched it I think maybe I rented it off iTunes or something like that. I always like Ken Loach's films, especially uh, his ones set in Glasgow. He's uh, uh, set in Scotland, rather. I think he's, you know, they can be discussed on Sweet 16. He's good at capturing very true-to-life characters, the way he, he sort of crafts his films and stuff. So I'd, see, I'd only seen it once before. And uh, the, the the scene that always stuck in my mind is the very, very first scene uh, with uh, <laughs> Gary Maitland as Albert yeah. when he's on the, he's on the railway platform. Platform. And I, you know, I remember the first time I watched it, thinking that I was just on for a absolute laugh riot <laughs> after that <laughs> scene. 
Had um, you seen many Ken Loach films before, Greg? Well, well yeah, I mean, <laughs> but he's, you know, I know he, you know he has a theme, but, you know, he's, like, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen um, the Eric Cantona movie that he did. Yeah. That's quite a light-hearted movie, you know. Um, so I thought maybe it was going to be along those kind of lines. And, you know, there are, there are some really funny moments in it. Mm. You know, like it's, I think for a Ken Loach film, it's not, it's not, he's, yeah, I don't think he's particularly, uh, his stories are, his movies rather are particularly gloomy. Um, but there's not, not that many of them have a particularly uplifting ending. <laughs> and no. the angel, the angel share does, it all kind of works out for everybody. Pretty much, you know. I was, I enjoyed watching it again. I really did. I, I, th- I enjoyed it more watching it this time, I think, than I did the first time I watched it. Uh, but did you, well, did you enjoy the film? The first note I could bring you to is that my last note is a happy ending in a Ken Loach film. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, incredible and, and so delighted. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I have no idea how this. Actually, I do have an idea how this escaped me. Uh, 2012, I was living in Dubai, so this wouldn't have been released there or Mm. widely released. But at that time, I would have been listening to Mark Commode and Simon Mayo's podcast every week. And Mark Commode is a huge Ken Loach fan. I think probably one of his second filmmakers next to Bill Forsyth is... Yeah, you know Ken Loach and I I went back and listened to the review of this and I remember listening to it when it first went out and I genuinely do not know how this film escaped I'd obviously found out about it more recently doing research for the Swally and, and read about the cast and thinking I need to watch that but I think in the back of my mind I thought oh, I'll save it for the Swally I really enjoyed it it's such a strange film because as you say it, one of my first notes was this is a Ken Loach film because it's dripping in realism this scenes even the as you say the opening scene with albert and instantly ford kiernan as the tannoy announcer and straight away you know who it is with the voice you're like that's ford kiernan and i I hadn't even looked at the proper full cast and oh my god it's ford kiernan and straight away i'm like that's sidekick from sweet 16 oh shit see what we have done now you fucking imbecile get off that track there's a train coming through here in seconds what the fuck was that you asshole i fucking nearly broke my ball Fuck the ball! Get off the track! Hurry up! Get a fucking move on! Can't he find my glasses? This is God calling. Get off the fucking track, will you? Get a fucking move on or you're gonna die! Fuck me! Move it, you fucking asshole! <laughs> and the um the ridiculousness of that and then you're straight into the court scene and the court scene is so real and all i can yeah. think of is they must have filmed that in a real court a lot of those people must have been genuine non-actors and and that's the same with a lot of ken loach films you know as yeah. we come on to you know uh, paul brannigan for example this is his first role and he's very true to the robbie character he portrays yeah dripping in realism but also with a bit of ridiculousness Because this is a film of two halves. It's a Ken Loach melodrama about the struggle of unemployment and people that have been kind of wronged and are trying to redeem themselves. And then it's a ridiculous Ocean's Eleven kind of Mission Impossible heist film in the end, but dripping with comedy as well. And it's just the two of them melded together. They shouldn't work, but they do because Ken Loach just puts them... And Sorry, I should say Paul Laverty as well. You know, he's Mm. the one that's written this. It just works. And even... 
even later in the film when you're you're thinking this is ridiculous and there are two points in this film that I do think are utterly ridiculous only two there's a few other things but they just work you just kind of let them go because hey it's it's a good film yeah. it's it's so like I say it's dripping in kind of melodrama but it's so kind-hearted and just nice and genuinely as we, as we discuss the film later on there are towards the end I'm genuinely tense and I'm genuine. I have genuine emotion dripping out of me at certain points. That I I, I really enjoyed this film though. Today I I thought it was great. Yeah, you're, you're sort of waiting for it all to go horribly wrong. You know, oh. like compare this to two of Ken Loach's other sort of Scotland set movies, like Sweet Sixteen that we covered on an earlier episode, and My Name Is Joe, which I'm sure we'll get round to doing in the future. Mm. And they like can both in both of those films. There's a point where everything is going well for the mm-hmm. the main character. You know, like, my name is Joe. Joe's, you know, he's formed a relationship. He's helping his friends uh, and all that kind of thing. In Sweet 16, you know, the whole drugs operation's going really well. Yeah, he's got his caravan. He's got his flat in uh, Greenock and everything. Yeah. And then um, by the end, it's it's all gone fucking terribly wrong for both the characters. Yeah. You know, but so you're, that's kind of what you're waiting for. I mean, I've not seen A Fond Kiss. Maybe we'll do that. That's another Scottish one that Ken Loach did. Yeah, I've never we'll seen that. that but yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how that sort of shape out. I know what it's about. Yeah, you're just waiting for it all to go wrong for, for Robbie and... Well, because it's really his story. I mean, like, the, the rest of the cast are, are brilliant. It's great seeing William Ruan, who appears to have who appeared to double in height from when he played pinball to when he stars in this film. I mean, I know it's like nine years later or something, or ten years <laughs> later, but he's fucking tall as fuck. And obviously Gary Maitland, uh, who... I mean, I was looking at his IMDb's. He's only got like sort of three acting credits. Mm. And, you know, and like we've touched on it before, like you know, Ken Loach, he doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of like actors as such in his in his productions. I mean, there's uh, John Henshaw in this one, who's mm-hmm. one of those guys that you just. He's in everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and then Roger Allen is the whiskey collector who is mm. quite a distinguished actor and, and, and singer. But the rest are just, you know, like obviously Paul Brannigan's kind of pulled a career out of it. Um, the wee girl who plays Mo has done a few bits. She's, I think she's got River City. She's done a couple of uh, TV shows. Um, yeah. William Ruan is never too far away from, uh, from like Scottish productions. But the rest are just like the, the guy who is the, the host at the whiskey tasting. Is not an actor. He's he was an advisor uh, that they used for some whiskey knowledge on the production, and then they they got him in the the auctioner who auctions off the 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 whiskey is a real life auctioner, <laughs> you know. And you feel like to to your point that like you feel like the people playing the the briefs and the judge in the court they feel that it feels like they're they're probably that that is probably their job, you know. To your point, they're not they're not actors playing legal people, and that's why it feels so real. And that's exactly what you say, um, Charlie McLean, who plays Rory McAllister, who is the master of the quake. I've read a few articles this week. He is a genuine master of the quake whiskey expert. Ken Loach yep. and Paul Laverty approached him. He took them to some samplings. He took them to a whiskey auction to show them how it works. And at that point, Ken Loach effectively turned around and offered him the role. And it's just so real. And that's what you need. To be fair, when you do have Joy McAvoy doing the whiskey tour, she's very believable. And that's what I like. Did you notice in the whiskey tour, there is one point she trips over and there's one point she stumbles her lines and it's kept in to add to the realism because that type of thing would happen. And I think that's wonderful with the Charlie McLean 
uh, role that it's a real life person and you believe because he is a genuine whiskey expert and he is genuinely conveying the emotion that he feels you can't really falsify that and yeah he's in terms of playing himself yeah did you spot two former Dundee United players in small I roles? certainly did yes <laughs> uh, so one was uh, Charlie Miller uh, Andy McLaren and Andy McLaren yeah so oh, yeah. one was uh, playing Leone's uncles uncles yeah in the hospital yeah and the other is plays the the father of the the young guy that Robbie's in trouble for mm. beating up and they have the they have the sort of meeting the kind of reconciliation well I guess it's not really there's there's no reconciliation in that scene at all it's a really difficult scene to watch and and, it, and it's almost I don't know it's sort of tonally it, it almost sort of doesn't sort of fit in with the rest of the film to some to, to some extent and it kind of made me think to myself well you know like when the guy's describing his injuries and then the mother is describing the impact that it's had on his life and you you find yourself thinking well has Robbie maybe got off a bit a bit easily with just community service you know and he's, he's, he's blinded the guy he's broken his ribs he's well that was my thought because Robbie obviously this is the one aspect I do find a little bit unbelievable the, the first aspect so obviously Robbie's in court for battering Clancy and his mates I can yeah. only presume because do you know anyone called Clancy that would be uh, <laughs> knocking about Glasgow I can only presume that his parents were Highlander fans and have named <laughs> really him after so. Clancy Brown right. so he's been battering the hell out of Clancy and his mates they're in this war their dad have fought all their lives they're fighting now Robbie gets off with 300 hours community service he's already done time for the attack that he did on the guy that we meet later on where he's coked up to his eyeballs there's no way that's happening I know that he's about to become a father in 10 days time yeah, if he's already yeah. done a prison sentence there's no way he's getting off with 300 hours community service for permanently scarring those guys Yeah, not a yeah. chance he's going back inside so that's the first thing especially when Albert gets 180 hours for what falling onto a rain line when he was pitched that's not right. He gets 180 hours for, was it falling onto a, a rail line whilst drinking strong fortified wine? Robbie gets to beat the fuck out of the two of them and just gets 120 hours more. Nah, no chance. That's very unrealistic. The thing I do like about that initial scene, the court scene where, you know, it's essentially, it's, a, it's quite a clever way of introducing us to the characters. Mm. Yeah. And it's also, it's quite a subtle sort of means of exposition. So that like, you know everything that you need to know about Robbie, Rhino, Albert. You know and, what I mean? And what what I like is that you see a few other characters that you know don't appear again in the film. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's very much a, you're almost seeing a day in the life of the court. And yeah, yeah. I, I did like that, that you see some characters that you don't see again. The other thing about about it is, um, you know, that you touched on Paul Brannigan. And like, I didn't know an awful lot about him. I'd obviously seen him in this before. He pops up in Sunshine on Leith, doesn't he, as the, the injured fellow soldier of the two of the two other guys. Um, and he's got a part in Under the Skin. Three yeah. places in the Swally Tally. But um, yeah, they got... Because I watched the, there's a wee documentary on YouTube about the making of the Angel Share, and it talks about his his own story and how Ken Loach, or rather Paul Laverty, found them running a kind of youth group. But he had been in prison before, and he'd you know he'd had he had a little boy around about that time, and he did a lot of problems with like drug uh, drugs and fighting and gangs and stuff, just like Robbie. And uh, you know his his way to being in the film was Paul Laverty approached him and asked him to go, and he thought that he was being asked to go again. Didn't realize he was going to audition. He thought it was 
going to have to go and talk about his life again and he was kind of fed up doing that he had lost the job that he had they, they didn't say why he lost it but he sort of hints at like, he sort of suggests that he probably fucked it up himself um, yeah. for maybe sort of dropping into old behaviours or something mm. um, and so he didn't show up for the audition and Paul Lavery had to go and find them and mm. sort of give him a kick up the, give him a bit of a metaphorical kick up the arse to go along and audition and stuff and you know I, and I think you had to be look at his IMDB and he's got you know quite a lot on there considering that he's only been acting for sort of eight years he's he's fairly mm. racked up the, the movies and the TV shows but he's really good and believable mm. in this and obviously as you say his third appearance in Swally Under the Skin and in Sunshine on Leith he does have very small roles here yeah. he is the central character and he does mm-hmm. deliver a really believable performance he, he does remind me of Martin Compton really in Sweet yeah. 16 and I think that is detriment to Ken Loach getting that out of his performers he's yeah, able yeah. To, to bring that out because again Sweet 16 was Martin Compton's first role really yeah. wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, he's, totally. he, he yeah, any random actors that just and he just gets out of them and it's the realism that is just so believable yeah. that sucks you into the role you really believe in the character of Robbie well he, he ended up um, actually appearing in a movie excuse me with uh, Martin Compton called Scottish Muscle it's got Joe Thomas mm. of the Inbetweeners in it as well I've not seen it mm. I seem to remember I feel like I saw a trailer when it was released or something and it got, it got panned a little bit I think I think it was I think Martin Compton only had sort of one or two series of Line of Duty under his belt at that point I think I don't think Line of Duty had really blown up mm. um, in the way it has over the last kind of few years and obviously Joe Thomas was probably still riding the in-betweeners wave you know so you know yeah you're, you're absolutely right I mean I think you know because like Peter Mullen and Shane Meadows who directed uh, This Is England and A Room for Romeo Brass and lots of other movies um, they, I think they work in very sort of similar way to Ken Loach and that in that documentary that I saw that I watched about the Angels share William Ruan was saying like you you know like you get the script but then you don't know what you're doing the next day he said like they think they were shooting the scene in the cemetery and then they find out you know like wait, we're, we're going to go through to Edinburgh in a couple of days and we're going to do this we're going to do that and then you, then you sort of get the script pages for that day but the script is you know, Ken Loach apparently is always very much well you know say it how you would how you yeah. would say it you know like you know like don't it doesn't, it doesn't have to be verbatim to what's written on the page you know like express it in the way that you would express it which, which, which is quite a brave thing to do but I guess you know he, he's been direct you know Ken Loach has been directing since the mid 1960s you know obviously starting off on the things like the Wednesday play and uh, play for today and stuff and then like famously Kez is his sort of breakthrough film but even if you watch Kez you know the, the actor that plays Casper the main character in Kez he wasn't an actor, he was just a kid that they found running about Sheffield it's set, isn't it? You know, there's a, a couple of people that became famous actors, like Brian Glover and uh, Lynn Perrier which became Ivy, Tis- Ivy yeah. Tilsley in uh, Coronation Street, but like, yes. you know I mean, so these are, you just you just sort of trusts that he can he, he must know exactly what he wants on the screen, you know, and, and in a way that, you know, like you, you hear about directors like Kubrick or Francis Ford Coppola or people like that who are very you know, like Kubrick especially 
is like famous for making Sherry Duval almost have a nervous breakdown on the set mm. of The Shining for making her do like a take after take after take yeah. after take. Whereas you know, like I, th- I don't know, I think there must be it must be something when I mean, you see Ken Loach being interviewed and stuff like that. He's quite a unassuming sort of. Yeah. You, you can't imagine him losing his patience, you know. And like no. you, you see footage of him directing and stuff. And I was watching a bit of that today on that documentary. And like all the kids, all the young actors are obviously really comfortable with him. You know, obviously William Ruan and Gary Maitland have got experience with working with them before on Sweet Sixteen. Um, and yeah, just to your point, he just gets these really natural performances. And you know, for people who know Glasgow or know Scotland, like you, you know characters like that, and they behave and they express themselves in exactly the way that Ken Loach gets them to do on the screen, you know? Whenever I see Ken Loach in an interview, and I watched a couple of interviews of him discussing The Angel Share and, and Sweet Sixteen, the fondness of the way he speaks about his actors is... Yeah, yeah. It, it, the way he was speaking about Paul Brannigan and the uh-huh. way that, you know, and he does say, you know, Paul found him and he was just perfect and, and he says, you know, effectively, we kind of made him audition. He skips over the him going maybe back into old ways and, and missing yeah, yeah. a couple of auditions, but he's like, we took him back a few times and we didn't really need to, because we knew instantly this was our Robbie. And yeah. I think it's a, a testament to the fact that he casts actors he's worked with before in multiple films. So you can speak about Gary Maitland, you can speak about mm. you know, William Ruan. It, it, he, he takes them back because he knows he can trust them, and he knows yeah, it's he can work well with them, and I think that is a and they're natural as well, mm-hmm. which I think is a, yeah. a big thing. And they are so natural in the roles, just the the way they're so believable that yeah, the way they put that across. Yeah, you mentioned that sort of on the, it's the same sort of subject. You mentioned earlier how the movie won the Palme d'Or in Cannes, so there was a bit of a, a little bit of kind of controversy. It's a quiet controversy came out of the movie. Um, when we did Sweet Sixteen, we spoke about how they worked really hard to get it a 15 rating. You know, and Martin Comston felt particularly strong about it because he wanted it to be a sort of example for kids the same age as the characters in the film. Um, you know, so they will hopefully see it as a, a detriment to getting involved in that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. They, they, they wanted to get Sweet Sixteen a, a 15 rating. They, they showed a cut version. No, sorry. The Angels share a 15 rating and they showed a, a slightly cut version of the movie in Cannes to the jury, which uh, had a few of the cunts taken. Out in the in the cut version, there's only eight uses of the word cunt, mm. and the uncut version there's fifteen. But there was a little bit of a thing in the media with the BBFC and Ken Loach himself. So BBFC, so their their statement on a fifteen rating that says there may be frequent use of strong language, for example, fuck. The strongest terms, for example, cunt, may be acceptable if justified by the context. Aggressive or repeated use of the strongest language is unlikely to be acceptable in awarding a 15 rating. So Ken Loach said in Digital Spy, we were allowed seven cunts but only two of them could be aggressive cunts. The British middle class is obsessed by what they call bad language. The odd oath they will ask you to cut, but the manipulative and deceitful language of politics they use themselves, so I think we should re-examine what we mean by bad language and have respect for our ancient oaths and swear words, which we all enjoy. 
So Ken Loach obviously, you know, likes a bit of the old industrial language. The Guardian weighed in on the dispute. You wee cunt is often a term <laughs> of endearment. But the BBFC transpose it as if you were on a public address system at the Royal Opera. They take it out of context. They have an obsession with that word. There are many films they have given a 15 certificate to, I think, are full of pornographic violence or racism or cruelty that is not fit for 15 year olds. And they show that with no problem at all. So I think there's a tremendous hypocrisy. The Daily Telegraph got involved and they, believe it or not, agreed with The Guardian and Ken Loach. They said the British Board of Film Classification gets barmier by the day. It now tells us that there is an acceptable and unacceptable way to say the word cunt. If, as in Ken Loach's new movie The Angels Share, the characters in a film say that word in an aggressive fashion, then the film will be stamped with an 18 certificate. But if they were to utter the C word in a non-aggressive fashion, then the film could be granted a more lenient, box office friendly 15 certificate. So Loach, whose new film is based in Glasgow, where the C word abounds has been forced to excise the more aggressive use of the word in order for his film to be a 15. He is rightly annoyed. The only people that have a problem with the word cunt, apart from my mum, are the people on the BBFC in the UK. I did wonder because the version of this film I watched is one hour and 41 minutes long and I've seen that the version that is on the BBC iPlayer at the moment is one hour 33 minutes long. So they've evidently cut eight minutes out of the film. Now, I didn't get a chance to watch both versions Mm -hmm. just to be interested what they'd cut out. I can only presume maybe a little bit of violence. I don't know. Maybe they cut the credits short, but that's quite a lot to cut out. In terms of bad language, it's a lot. So I I might, I think it's still available on the iPlayer for a a few months yet. So I might go back and watch it and see what I can notice has been cut out. Yeah. um, They they might have cut out the, the bat ring Robbie gets in the staircase because is there a need for that in the film really i mean i know it conveys the the fraught relationship he obviously has with his girlfriend's family but is there a need for that i guess yes because it leads to ken taking him home and then giving him the whiskey and then that leads to the whole film but yeah i think i think you're right i think it had to be in there for that reason right so you know because why why would harry sympathize with this young guy i've called him ken the reason is because (laughs) obviously i i know john john henshaw from early doors is is what i would generally know him from where he's ken the landlord so sorry i've called him ken harry yes harry before we get into that harry is just the nicest man in the world you almost get the feeling he's trying to make up for something he's done wrong in the past in terms of he does mention i've got two daughters who live down south yeah he's up in glasgow he's living in a not great flat he's doing you know work with obviously offenders Mm -hmm. you kind of get the feeling he's trying to right some wrongs he's done previously yeah i mean yeah you're right it's it's sort of hinted at he he, he does have one of my favorite lines when he first gives robbie the whiskey to taste for the first time after he takes him back to his house after he's been beaten up in the hospital and robbie like like, as i'm sure we all did the first time we put whiskey to our lips we're like oh that's horrible (laughs) <laughs> then he asked to get some coke. Now, I know that what Harry is trying to say is, you Philistine. But he says, you Philippine. <laughs> Fucking hell, Harry, man. Tastes like shit. You Philippine. Can I have some coke tonight? No. You drop of water. <laughs> 
I think it's because Harry doesn't really swear and yeah, he doesn't yeah, want yeah. to be offensive. So it's it's almost like a, a Tim Vine almost that like he doesn't swear. He kind of makes yeah. up for uh, different words. But he's such a, a lovely character, which does lead to my second ridiculous thing that happens in the film. Actually, I've got three now I think about it. It was Robbie's Community Service. Number two on the hit list, Harry taking them in a van to the distillery. Really? Is that really going to happen? Are you really going to take a bunch of fucking offenders on community service in a van to go and visit a distillery on your day off using the works van? (laughs) Surely a little bit bending a little bit of the terms of realism here. Well, I mean, but Ken Loach describes the film as a, as a fable. You know, he's very, <laughs> you know, it's it's not realistic. So, the, that scene that you mentioned, the, the whole way of them stealing the whiskey, the Russian buyer with the Roger Adams character and everything, and the the, the whiskey goes in iron brew bottles, which is going to change because they yeah. just you see them just pouring their iron brew out on yeah. the grass outside the distillery. You know, that's another thing I wanted to ask. Yeah, the, you know, they, you would have to like boil the bottles um, and sanitize them for it because I brew it's a sticky and distinctive flavor it's going to fuck up the whiskey you might you touched on it earlier and I think I think I watched that Mark Kermode the same one and the same review that you did and he's like you know you because so much of the film is charming and disarming and funny and it's easy to let all these sort of nitpicks go a bit you know what was your third one? That you- My third one also involves Harry. Like, right. would they really give him a hundred grand bottle of whiskey at the end? <laughs> like, really? Are you really going to do that? You've done all that, all the work. Who's this cunt? He's our, <laughs> effectively our probation officer, community service worker. Okay, he's a nice guy, but we're going to give him a hundred grand bottle of whiskey to sit on his table. Harry's never going to touch that whiskey. <laughs> and no, no, I'll take an extra 25 grand in my hipper. Thank you very much. That's what I'll I mean. Do. He, I suppose it's Robbie has done the deal, hasn't he, for the one bottle? And you know he's probably Harry's the guy that's effectively changed his life. You know he's he's yeah. turned him onto whiskey. You know they they've discovered together that Robbie's got this really good nose, uh, really strong palate, and everything. And you know when he when he drives off to Stirling at the end of the movie in his VW camper van, you know they were were led to believe that he's going on to bigger and better things, getting out of the cycle of violence and antisocial behaviour. It's all because of Harry. Uh, what is your take? on whiskey Greg in terms of I like whiskey yeah yeah, I like it yeah no I do um, I'm not like a, I wouldn't say I'm a connoisseur I, I'm not a big fan of really peaty whiskeys like Lagavulin and Lafroig I don't really like them but I like you know I, I like like a, a smooth sort of Macallan or Glenfiddich or Glenmorangie and you know fuck it I'll, I'll, I'll drink a blend if there's nothing else going but um, but yeah no, I mean well I mean I remember I remember my dad saying to me when I was younger one of like the few perils of wisdom that he dispatched that actually turned out to be accurate was like you never enjoy your first cigarette and you never enjoy your first whiskey you got to persevere at both um, and it wasn't I mean I've, I've only I've only really discovered a taste for whiskey probably in all truthfulness in the last maybe 10 12 years what about you you a fan I was when I was younger when right. yeah when I was quite young I would, I'd say about maybe 16 or so when I started drinking and mm-hmm. I yeah I developed a little taste for whiskey and then I had a very bad night on whiskey and I couldn't drink it for about 20 years like hey. genuinely couldn't even smell it it's maybe a right. story I'll tell in the swally sometimes uh, sometime later on it involves the Broadhill Bar it involves <laughs> okay. me it involves a bottle of whiskey and it involves me dressed as as Shaft, the Richard so Shaft. as in Shaft, right. as in yeah. uh, John Shaft, John Shaft, the 
private yeah. sex machine who gets all the chicks. The, yeah. black, the black private dick who's a yeah. sex machine with all the chicks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I might need to carefully choose my words when I tell that story. But yeah, I, I went to a fancy dress party dressed as Shaft. But yeah, had a, a good ton of whiskey beforehand. And it wasn't good whiskey. It was right. the, the cheap kind of Grant's whiskey type special. Yeah. And yeah. that put me off for about 20 years. And it's only, I would say, in the last seven, eight years that I've kind of got back into whiskey. And now I am. I, I can appreciate it, and but mm-hmm. not to the level of, of Robbie or yeah. Harry or anything. But I, I, I can appreciate a nice whiskey, and I do like a nice whiskey now and again, but I can drink it all the time. But yeah, it's nice. One thing about whiskey is that I, I won't get smashed off whiskey because the hangover is, is keen. <laughs> you know, even, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll generally drink it with just... Depending on what type it is, I can drink it neat, um, or sometimes put a wee splash of water in it, depending on what 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 the brand is. But it's the sort of thing that I'll have. I can have one or two of, you know, in the house. If I've got a bottle in, or if I go to see my mum and my stepdad, he likes whiskey, so I might have one or two with him. But it's literally one or two. Like I don't drink it to excess. And so to get back to the angel share, do you think the the heist? effectively is believable do you think they could pull that off not at all <laughs> not at all um, but it's like i said before you it doesn't matter by the time that they are that those characters are going to do that heist you just you know you just want good things to happen for all of them even mo like the wee shoplifting girl who doesn't say she's not she's not big a character as like albert or rhino or, or robbie but you still you know you're you're rooting for them you know when they hitchhike their way from hillhead in glasgow bizarrely all the way up to the distillery and got the kilts on and all that kind of thing you know without mo you'd have no heist she's the one that effectively intervenes and gets Rhino and Albert and herself invited to the whiskey tasting yep. where they she then steals the documents letting them know about the malt mill yeah so uh, Mo is she the- goes further she goes further than that even she, she's the one that steals all the miniatures from the first distillery that of they're course. sitting about tasting you know and I guess that helps to refine Robbie's palate it, you know it kind of gets in his sense of smell and stuff it gets Rhino a bit more clued in whiskey and that tasting scene is a beautiful way of ken loach just the it, it's so real in terms of they're yeah. just sitting there tasting and the two guys just sitting there off camera it's hilarious and comes out <laughs> with some of the best lines in the film and that's the realism you get from a ken loach film but it's just so it's comedic as well and that scene reminds me of the scene from sweet 16 when they are phoning up um the the stepfather and yeah. asking him if he wants to buy any double glazing and then like, oh, oh, would you like to buy any dildos know. or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's about like the scene when they're recording the message for Martin Compson's mum. You know, oh, yeah. is, you I know. hope your porridge is no lumpy, Gene. <laughs> yeah. so we need to give a few minutes to Gary Maitland as Albert. Because I mean, he is the he. I mean, for me, he's the fucking beating heart of this film. You just you never know what he's going to say. See when they when they come up onto Princess Street and he sees Edinburgh Castle for the first time. <laughs> now they could have stopped with what's that. You know what is that? But then when he when he when Rhino tells him it's Edinburgh Castle, he says, "What they put it up there for?" What? What is that? Is he talking about? No, no. That there. What is that? That big thing on top of the hill. You can't even miss that. Look at that. Aye. What is that? That's Edinburgh Castle, Albert. Is it? Aye. What did, what did they put up there for? 
Are you checking the fish? No. Why did they put it up there for? Look at that. Fuck me, man. Why did they put it up? Where the fuck did I know? You don't recognise Edinburgh Castle? No. Oh, I've only been asking you. Have you been living in the cupboard all your life or what? I wish I'm out of that house. Is there no shortbread in your house? Hey. Oh, man. Next time you go, check all the oh. tins. He's, uh, I mean, he's just absolutely brilliant. There's a couple of absolutely points brilliant. where I did think, like, okay, this character is maybe a little bit unbelievable in terms of <laughs> he's, okay, you can maybe take the first scene because he's obviously drunk and he's falling on the yeah. railroad tracks and he's basically a Scottish McLovin in a way. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit, um, yeah. In terms of that character. Uh, and then when he turns up two days late for the uh, his work. Two days early, um, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it because he, he turns up, he's, it's Wednesday, I don't know, but he says you're two days out. I'm never sure if it's two days early oh, or two yeah. days late. It's like two days. And then obviously when he's hiking at the... Um, plaster but then he comes yeah. up with some brilliant bits of genius he comes up with a kilt idea and yep. although he is ultimately responsible for what we'll move on to in terms of the the scene that left me holding my head in my hands yeah he does come up with a good solution <laughs> in terms of, you know he comes out with this brilliant it's, it's like he's been listening to ted talks before i don't know but ted talks weren't around in 2012 so he probably didn't uh, even know that so he comes out with this brilliant business dynamic of supply and demand and it, he is a, a brilliant character I have to agree that um, I think his uh, his best part for me is when they got on the bus full of nuns and he says fuck me <laughs> <laughs> sound and music yeah. and his reaction is just so like oh my god yeah, but yeah he is a brilliant character and but it's, uh, it's, it's Rhino's line right after that when he's like sorry sisters did we to try and control these Protestants <laughs> Something like that. And then, of course, you get the uh, yeah the whole point about his tadger getting battered with his sporran. Which, now, uh, again, why do you just put it to the side? Why do you take the sporran off? You're not... If you're roaming around the hills, just take it off. Put it over your shoulder. Why has it got to batter your um, tadger so much? I liked uh, uh, Rhino when they're, when they're taking photographs with the tourists. And uh, Rhino starts telling one of the girls how it was like... Uh, the tartan was... he was His great-grandfather had been a clan chief and everything. And he's oh, I just feel this pride when I put the kilt on. And the girl's like, is that why you put it on back to front? <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant idea, though, in terms of if you're going to do something like that, wearing kilts. And it is wonderful the way Robbie is phoned ahead and has set them up up as this whiskey society and yeah. no one's going to question that and, and and the guy there is so delighted and they're so happy to have them like he's chuffed to bits that they're going to get a photograph and everything's going to be great and can you know would it be okay if we saw the master of the quake and the ceremony yeah of course of course it, it's a fucking genius plan you know and it, it, it sort of comes out of nowhere a wee bit robbie becomes this like master total criminal <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the completely convincing uh, con artist. The the guy who he's who he's conning is just gushing. Uh, him and the woman, the sort of secretary, the, or the woman that's that's with him, are just oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> There's the, they're the cartine whiskey appreciation society. Now I could understand that if it was a case of you never get any visitors to this distillery and you are oh you've got this whiskey society coming here. 
to lavish praise on us. That's amazing. Oh, we never get anyone here. The following day, they have basically got a room full of multi-millionaires willing to bid over a million pounds on this cask of whiskey. So why is he gushing over these four cunts who look like an abomination? You know, they look like (laughs) what they are. Just cunts and kilts. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's impressive that he is so enamoured with them, but maybe he's preparing for the big meeting with everyone else tomorrow. Edinburgh Castle. Is that the most iconic thing in Scotland? Because Harry says, have you not got any shortbread? Have you not seen it on a tin? When Albert can't see it. (laughs) Is Edinburgh Castle on every shortbread tin? I do not believe that to be true because I've been into my supermarket here and looked at the shortbread and they do have Scottish imported shortbread and Edinburgh Castle Mm -hmm. is not on any of it. Um, Walkers. Is Edinburgh Castle the most iconic Scottish landmark? I can think of Two more. I would say that the probably the fourth rail bridge is the most iconic landmark in Scotland. That would be my um, yeah first choice. Um, I mean, you could say maybe I don't know that you could say maybe the Wallace Monument, but I don't think the Wallace Monument is more iconic than Edinburgh Castle. No, I don't think so. I would have which, said which maybe. I, I, well, I would have said Loch Ness, but it's not yeah. iconic in terms of people won't instantly recognise it. That's just a yeah a, a body yeah. of water, unless Ness's head sticking out, which apparently our Grimsby tourists didn't see, so yeah. you wouldn't see that. But I would say the Fourth Road Bridge would be probably my number one. Um, fourth Rail Bridge. I, I, I think the Road Bridge. Fourth Rail Bridge. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Edinburgh Castle would probably. It, it's got to be up there. Uh, maybe the I mean, statue of uh, Donald Dewar, uh, Rhino, <laughs> urinates on. Urinated on. <laughs> why, would I mean, you, what, what, why would you urinate on Donald Dewar? Donald Dewar? I don't know. Maybe Rhino was a staunch Tory. I have no idea. I mean, Donald Dewar, I remember when they put when, when they built that uh, statue of Donald Dewar, I hadn't long since moved back to Glasgow. People kept breaking off his glasses. Yeah, I, I remember reading a, about that. Why? They had to build a higher plinth um, to make it harder to reach because he's right at the top of Buchanan. Street outside the Royal Concert Hall, mm. but going back to Edinburgh Castle, I mean, you know, I mean, I must have, I must have seen it from Princess Street, maybe hundreds of times. But you know, and there's that so Glasgow Edinburgh rivalry where it's difficult for people to say anything nice about the city that they're not from. But every time I come out of the Waverley and walk onto Princess Street, I'm always impressed by Edinburgh Castle. Every time. You know what I mean? It's every single time. It's just you know, like sort of looking over the city at the top of the Royal Mile and everything. It's uh, and like even like I, I had the pleasure of taking my daughters uh, a couple of years ago when the three of us went home. My wife couldn't go back; she was working, so we went home for the October week and we just we did all the things that we're not allowed to do when we travel with my wife. And we went through to <laughs> we went through to Edinburgh for the day, and they were you know maybe like Macy was about ten, eleven or ten, you know, Renee was about seven, and they were like. You could they, they they stood and looked at it for quite a long time. You know what I mean? That's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's breathtaking, Edinburgh Castle. I don't think you'd really appreciate it. I I've been there a couple of times when I was at school. We went to tours there and. Mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't until I'd, I'd left Scotland for quite a while and then I went to Edinburgh with my, my wife who is German and she'd never been there and mm-hmm. you're kind of stood on Princess Street looking at it and she's like wow and you're like yeah, yeah it's pretty fucking impressive I was like wait yeah. till we go up the Royal Mile and go up to it and you go up to uh-huh. it and 
we did stand. I, I don't think we went for a. We didn't go for a tour around it, but we kind of went round the courtyard and stuff. And yeah, it's fucking impressive, Edinburgh Castle. And the the view from the castle itself, you know, you can see all the way over to like the fourth mm. rail and road bridges. You know, like, like, they can see for miles and on, a, on a clear day, on a clear sunny day. You, you you understand why when people visit Scotland from like Europe and America and Asia and everything that they make a beeline for Edinburgh and the castle. You know what I mean? It's it's absolutely awesome. Okay, so. right. Enough about bumming up our Edinburgh neighbours. Um, okay, <laughs> anything else to say about Angel Ship? Because I feel like we haven't spoken about it enough. <laughs> There's so many segues. I think we've spoken about it quite a lot. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe we haven't, maybe not enough. No, I but, don't uh, probably have. I mean, there's not a lot to speak about. We've spoken about the robbery. We've spoken about everything else. Yeah, maybe not. Um, shall we put the Angel Share through the Swally Awards? Let's do it. Not in any particular order. I'm going to start with the Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award. No, I mean, it's not, apart from the one bit of violence in the hospital, it's not a particularly violent film. But what did you what did you pick? It's that? not. I mean, there's two scenes of violence, really. There is um, Robbie and the uncles, and then there yeah. is, of course the flashback to when Robbie right, had yeah. his coked up kind of fight I did give it to the Robbie and the uncles because I thought I'd, that was kind of yeah. the kind of the most violent moment in a way yeah, def- yeah, yeah definitely I mean there is there's a bit of near violence when uh, when they go to see the flat um, and Robbie realises that like Clancy's pal Sniper has been following mm. him mm. and he he, yeah. he, 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 sort of, he he threatens him but it, it does lead to another really funny moment when he comes out and he kicks over the motorbike and then sniper rides by <laughs> wrong mo- wrong bike you dick or something like that <laughs> In fact, that's probably more of a definition of your tease out, actually. The, uh, the yeah, kicking over yeah, the motorbike yeah. and it being the wrong motorbike. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. give that to your uh, choice there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so because the other two, the other two violent moments are a wee bit too, a wee bit too true to life, you know. So this was this was a bit of a tricky one, the James Cosmo Award, because obviously it's it's Ken Loach. She tends, as we discussed earlier on, he tends not to fill his productions with established actors interested to hear who you pick for that um i had a little bit of trouble with this because as you say there's not many characters so yeah i i, I did give it to paul Brannigan because he's been right. in well, three swally items so far but i'll be interested to hear where you go with this i gave it to william ruan just oh. because i feel like he's a more familiar face than Paul Brannigan, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I get. I guess he's he's been acting a bit longer, like quite quite a bit longer. You know, he would he he did the first couple of the years of River of uh, River City, and he's 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 got mm-hmm. a Taggart credit, <laughs> and he's IM he's IMDb. Um, so yeah, I, I gave it to William. The Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. There's only really one scene that we could give this one to. You don't even see it. Yeah, it's not even gratuitous. What in terms of them getting their Taggers out for the yeah. policeman and telling him to put some cream on that (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean you don't see anything so i don't think we can genuinely give anything to that award nah because it's not gratuitous yeah you're right i'd I'd written here kilts up um but yeah we'll just it's no award this week um scottish moment there's quite a lot to pick from yeah, I was kind of torn have? between this. Uh, there's a lot to choose from. There's the kilts, there's the iron brie, mm-hmm. there's the whiskey. Mm-hmm. I give it yep. to you're a dirty, clatty bastard. <laughs> 
And that for me was the archetypal Scottish moment in terms of the, I know it's not a moment, but it's a line, but you're a dirty, clatty bastard is just sums up for me. That was Scotland. And I I know there's kilts and this beautiful Scottish scenery and whiskey and iron brew bottles. Iron brew bottles was my number two, but you're a dirty, clatty bastard is my number one. I went about, I took a bit of a different direction. I had Albert falling off the train platform because it just, <laughs> you know, wait, being pissed and falling off the, it just feels like a really sort of west of Scotland thing to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen that happen. It's never happened to I've me. Never, it's never happened to me. I've, I've, I've never like, physically seen it happen. I've read about it in the newspaper a lot. Um, okay. When I lived in Glasgow, like that Airdrie to Glasgow train, I think, was a, like, happened quite a lot. And so like another one that's quite that's quite a difficult one to narrow down is the Francis Begbie Award for swearing. Uh, what did you go for on this one? I mean, there's... There's a lot to go for here. I mean, pretty much every time Albert opens his mouth, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like fucking, fucking, fucking. And uh, Leone's dad threatening um, Robbie in the car. But it wasn't really fun. Again, it's a bit like the, the violence one. It's not really funny because it's malicious, yeah. you know? What did you go for? Uh, I genuinely went for the first swear word in the film. This is right. God calling. Get off the fucking track, will you? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I went before Kiernan. Like, the, it, it just it instantly it made me laugh. There are a lot of swear words that made me laugh in the film, but this was probably the, yeah, made me laugh the most. Yeah. Yeah, no, I for, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to 4K. And then, who do you, th- who are we giving the Sean Connery Award? Well, who would you, who would you give the Sean Connery Award for? Who, who's, who won the film? Um, I gave it to Paul Brannigan initially. Right. But I'm not sure whether I give it to Ken Loach in terms of the, the way he did the film, but no, I'm going to give it, it, it was Paul Brannigan's first film, his first mm-hmm. performance, his first acting role, and I think he did a really good job. So, I'm going to give it to Paul Brannigan. I went in a different direction. I I agree with you. I think Paul I think Paul Brannigan is is great in that lead role as Robbie. But I don't know. Like I I, I wanted things to work out for him, but I, I he didn't. I wasn't really endeared to him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I, not in the same way as I was endeared to like Rhino and Harry and Albert. Mm. But just because I looked forward to every minute that he was on the screen, I gave it to Gary Maitland. As Albert. Okay. Because yeah, I'll it, take just, that. For me, you know, yeah. Yeah, just every time he came on, you know. To be fair, Albert came up with the kilts idea. Albert came yeah. up with the uh, idea of the market share of the whiskey. Yeah. So Less you know more. what, yeah. Albert probably did win the film in a way. Yeah, I just thought, I just thought, you know, for I mentioned earlier on, you know, that Gary Maitland doesn't have an awful lot on his IMDb. They like only like three or four yeah. appearances, but you know, like he, he's not a, he's not one of the lead characters in this film by any stretch. But you know, like when they're all together. Together, like Robbie, Mo, Rhino, and Albert. You know, he just really kind of fucking lightens the whole thing up for me. Do you know what I mean? He's just he's so funny. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how much of it is off the cuff, how much of it is off the script, or what you call. I feel like when they call him, um, comes up with the kilt idea, and they say, "Well, we've changed the name to Albert Einstein." He's like, "Who the fuck's Albert Einstein?" You know, it's just there's all these little these little last sort of lines he gets in before the scene cuts to another scene. You know, it's just I just thought he was really really good. Um, um, so that was, I guess that's uh, that's Sweet Sixteen put through our prestigious Swally Awards. So 
Do you are you on the edge of your seat to find out what we're going to dis- what we're going to review in the next episode? I am, Greg. Um, as I said to you before we started recording this, it's one of my favourite parts of the episode. I want to know what we're doing next, and it's your choice next week. So, what are we going to be looking at next week? Well, you chose the Angel Share because you'd never seen it before, mm. and so it's in- it's inspired me to choose a movie that I've never seen before, and for a couple of reasons. One, the lead actor that's in that in this film I don't feel has been in our Swally reviews enough and he's one of my favourite Scottish actors. Two, I've read the book because you gave me the book when I came to visit you in Dubai a few years ago. So I've chosen uh, for our next episode The Legend of Barney Thompson starring Robert Carlyle and Emma Thompson and Stephen Cole and Martin Compton and a whole host of Swally favourites. I can say, Greg, that was genuinely going to be my next choice on the Swally. Because, <laughs> oh, <was> it really? <laughs> yeah, it was. Because <laughs> I had, I'd been looking at the Swally tally, which we will put up on the Instagram uh, yeah. uh, very soon. And I was uh, looking and I was thinking, we don't have enough fucking Bobby Carlyle on this tally. Mm. And yeah. genuinely, the legend of Barney Thompson was... It was either that or I was going to do... Um, uh, an episode of Hamish and Beth. I'm glad. I'm glad I chose Barry Thompson. <laughs> Amazing! Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to look forward to watching that. I have watched it before, so uh, and I know. Yeah, we both read the book, so I'm yeah. looking forward to doing that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and I really, I remember really enjoying the book. I think I burned through it uh, pretty quickly um, after you gave it to me, and then it's, again, it's one of those things like I lent it to somebody else and fucking never got it back. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that this week. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, then you can. You can follow us on Instagram at culture swally pod or why don't you email us with anything you've seen in the news or anything you'd like us to review on the swally and you can contact us on culture swally at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at swally pod and we do have a website but i think greg's got a little bit of a rant about uh, our website providers at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to rant because uh, I, I realise that I've been unpleasant on this podcast already today about um, our Isle of Jura wedding people. Um, but yeah, there's the podcast, there's an issue with it. We use Bluehost as our website hosting uh, service and they're having some problems. So under normal circumstances, you could find us at uh, cultureswallyblog.com. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going there at the moment because the technicians on the Bluehost helpline have made an arse of the page so well once it's up and running properly again which i'm sure it will be soon um we'll let you know on twitter and instagram and you can come and check us out there right okay until next time thank you very much everyone for listening and let's go barney thompson till next time greg (laughs) until next time